0: Erectal dysfunction after Cyberknife, high PSA after prostatitis, high testosterone, but I still have low libido. What's going on? That's what we're talking about today. Let's go. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Geo podcast. I am your host, Dr. Geo where I try to share with you some insights on how you can improve your urological function and live better as you age. Today's a special podcast because it's my 10th episode. I know for many podcasters, that's not that much. You know, one step at a time here, right? Today's a 10th episode. So I want to thank you all for tuning in and listening and providing comments and questions. I really appreciate you. Much love goes out to you. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different. I received some questions from some of you, and I want to answer them. Let's answer some of your questions, right? So today's our Q&A, our first Q&A. Let's get right to it. Larry from New Jersey has this question. His total testosterone is 810. His estradiol, so his estrogen level is 11. And his free testosterone is 6.6. All right, so total testosterone is 8.10. Estrogen is 11. And free testosterone is 6.6. And his question is, why am I not having libido or sexual interest with, with a testosterone level that high? Okay, here's the deal. And I think a lot of clinics and a lot of people get this wrong because what they try to do is just increase total testosterone, right, at all costs. But it's not about testosterone only. It's about ratios between total testosterone and other hormones, particularly free testosterone and estradiol and DHT and so forth. So there's still that I don't know a lot about you, Larry, from New Jersey. What's your SHBG, right? So that's the protein that clings on to total testosterone, and sometimes that's too high, which doesn't allow enough free testosterone to be available. So that's important information. I don't know what your glucose levels are or if you have metabolic syndrome or things like that. So let me answer that question in a general way. Just looking at the numbers that you gave me, 810 total, 11 estradiol, 6.6 free testosterone. Let's break that down for Listening audience who may not know what these numbers mean. Total testosterone, the range is typically between roughly 300 to 1,000. It's a big, wide range of what's normal, depending on what labs you look at. Free testosterone also depends on what labs you look at. But this free direct and free calculated testosterone, I guess that your testosterone is free calculated. The range there is roughly between. Uh, Let's say 6.6 and 18. And estradiol for men can range from anywhere from 15 to 40. There are two things. Your free testosterone seems to be low in comparison to your total testosterone. So your free testosterone is at the very low end of the range, of the normal range. That's number one. Number two is that your estrogen seems to be very low. So estrogen of 11 is very low. Now, Dr. Gio, I'm a man, isn't lower better, right? Isn't having lower estrogen better for me? And the answer is no. The answer is no. What you want is proper ratios between testosterone, total testosterone and estrogen, not just to keep bringing estrogen low. You need estrogen for many things as a man. You need it for bone health, you need it for cardiovascular health, and you need it for libido as well. Well, I thought that all I need for libido is testosterone you do need testosterone for libido. So if your testosterone is really low, you're not going to have sexual interest. But you also need some estrogen for sexual interest as well, okay? So roughly the ratio that I think it's important for men to have the total testosterone to estrogen is roughly about 20 to one total testosterone to estrogen, roughly, okay? And aside from that, I think that good estrogen levels are somewhere between 20 and 30. You're at 11. So you're really low. So something is happening there, I I guess. And again, there's more information that I don't know. How heavy are you? Maybe you have a lot of lean muscle, muscle mass, a lot of information there. But I'm assuming that you're lean and you're not converting a lot of testosterone to estrogen. So fat cells convert testosterone to estrogen through this enzyme called aromatase. So sometimes estrogen levels goes up because of that. Either way, I think your estrogen levels are too low, probably because I'm going to guess you have high SHBG. So it's a matter of lowering SHBG a little bit. And there's a variety of ways of doing that. One is the, actually, there's a botanical that we use often called nettle root. And nettle root is an excellent SHBG inhibitor, SHBG inhibitor. So that's one method of doing that. The other method of lowering, and again, I'm just assuming here (laughs) that your SHBG here is low. And this is just for uh, general information only, by the way, guys. I mean, I guess I should have started with some sort of disclaimer. This is for general information only. So please, I cannot diagnose a treat over a podcast. This is just questions that are coming to me from the internet. So another method of decreasing SHBG is diet. If you're heavy, you want to lose some weight. And again, I have no idea knowing that. Um, I'm somewhat assuming that you may not be because your estrogen levels are low, but that's just an assumption. Also, obesity brings up SHBG. Bottom line here is that I think that the reason why you're not feeling sexual is because your estrogen levels are too low and your free testosterone is too low. And it leads me to think that your SHBG is too high and that needs to be lowered. Okay, Larry, hope you're well and keep listening to the podcast. By the way, guys, I would love, so this is the 10th episode. Please give a review if you want to give me a gift (laughs) so I could keep doing this kind of work on any platform that you're listening to this podcast, whether it's Apple or Spotify or wherever. Please give me a a five-star review if if I earned it, if you think I've earned it. I know there's still work to do, and there's still opportunities to do better, but um, we're working on it. So please do so. All right. Next question. This is from John, 72-year-old male from Nevada, John, who just underwent cyber knife and is experiencing erectile dysfunction. What can I do? All right. So stereotactic radiation therapy, that's what CyberKnife is. So CyberKnife is the brand name that most people call this form of radiation therapy. So good work on branding there from the CyberKnife company. And it's a type of radiation that's more focal to the cancer, to prostate cancer. And it's about five treatments as opposed to sometimes 40, 44 treatments when you do external beam radiation for prostate cancer. So This is a different type of radiation that is focalized and typically has a reduced risk of erectile dysfunction in comparison to, let's say, prostatectomy. That's removal of the prostate, of course, for prostate cancer. In general, radiation therapy has a lower rate of erectile dysfunction in comparison to prostate removal. Across the board, I'm not sure that stereotactic radiation or cyberknife which is the kind that this gentleman is asking about, I'm not sure that that form induces less erectile dysfunction than other forms like seeds, brachytherapy, or external beam radiation. So in general, they're about the same. The issue is that sometimes erectile dysfunction, while it's a lower risk with these type of therapies, it occurs more often with time. So it doesn't occur as much early on, right after radiation therapy. It occurs with time. Look, a lot depends on how healthy sexually one is before prostate cancer treatment. The healthier you are, the better you do, right? Across the board, that includes after treatments of with a prostatectomy, okay? Then it becomes a question of how damaged were the nerves around the pelvic area from the radiation itself. In theory, and maybe even in practical terms, Treatments like stereotactic radiation is more focalized, so it hits the penile nerves, the nerves that innervate the penis, less. And according to the data that I've read, the erectile dysfunction rates after stereotactic radiation and or any type of radiation is relatively low. Okay. So I'm not sure what's happening here. I'm not sure if it's a nerve issue or you already had issues before. Radiation. You already had ED issues before because as a man ages and you're 72 years old, John, so as a man ages, their arteries start malfunctioning. If you have malfunctioning arteries, then all bets are off, right? It's going to be difficult to regain sexual function after prostate cancer treatment. So, what I would say is go ahead and try the things that are available, which include PD5 inhibitors. Like Cialis and Viagra at a lower dosage, about five milligrams to ten milligrams a day. Talk to your urologist about that. If that doesn't work, I would use that with a good dietary supplement that includes L-citrulline, ashwagandha, things like resveratrol and pomegranate, which helps with artery function. There's other things to use, epimedium, which is called horny goatweed. At least in my studies, it showed that it regenerates nerves of the penis. And again, that's in my studies. Sometimes that doesn't always translate to humans. You want to use those nutrients combined with the Cialis or the Levitra. As you all know, as a disclaimer, disclosure, I created a formula called XYVGGR, XY bigger. And I recommend that often. And some people seem to do very well with that. And in a situation like this, like John's, it's really combined with a PD-5 inhibitor. They tend to do better. If that doesn't work, then you have to move on to some sort of injection in the penis, a uh, Trimix, and then try that. And if that doesn't work, it's penile implant. That's what's needed. But the Trimix works, except you have to really see what the right dosage is for you. So you have to work with a urologist for that. And it works very well. Okay. I hope that helps. Next question. Rob from Texas. Rob from Texas. He's I'm fifty 58 years old. Uh, My PSA is 5.6. Should I get a biopsy? I have no family history of prostate cancer. (sighs) Here we go. The main answer is, I don't know. Again, there's always a lot that goes into trying to figure out who needs a biopsy and who doesn't. So in general, Rob, in a patient who's 58 years old and their PSA is above five, that could be from a lot of benign reasons including just an enlarged prostate or inflammation of the prostate. So it's hard to say if you need a biopsy or not. I would say that the right sequence to learn if you need a biopsy is try to get a one of those genetic biomarkers that include something like 4K score or exosome DX test. There's the phi phi test. There's a few that is more sensitive and specific to prostate cancer, and that will kind of guide you to see if you need a biopsy or not. Then after that, if those numbers come high, then you want a MRI of the prostate. And that will give you what's called a PIRAT score. And that will help you determine if you should get a biopsy or not. And if you do get a biopsy, there are two types. You want to get a targeted biopsy where the urologist uses the MRI images combined with the ultrasound to target the areas of interest. So that's better. You can also have rectal or now you can have perineal biopsy, which is a biopsy that where the infection rate is actually zero. And these are needles that are going right through the perineal area. That's the area between your scrotum and your anus. And they insert the needles there and they get little cores of your prostate from there. That seems to be gaining a lot of ground lately. So That's the process, but whether or not you need one now depends on other scores like these genetic tests, 4K score, exosome, et cetera, and then the MRI. Okay. So I don't think that you need to rush to one. Also, a lot depends on what was your PSA before. If your PSA has continuously gone up, Let's say two years ago was a one, a year ago was a two, and now it's a five. That's a significant linear upward increase in PSA. So I think that there's value there. Lastly, the MRI will give you the size of your prostate, and you could you and your urologist can calculate a PSA density calculation score, and that helps you determine if you know what are the chances of there being cancer there or not. So there's a lot of things to do prior to a biopsy, and I could understand why you don't want to get a biopsy. No one wakes up in the morning ever and says, oh my goodness, I cannot wait to get a prostate biopsy. No one does. So I could understand your hesitation in doing so, but that's the right process there, right? Good luck to you, Rob. Next question from Doug. Doug is from Florida. I am 47 years old, and I had numerous bouts of prostatitis. I had one recently where my PSA was 100. Should I be concerned? Well, Doug, the first thing is that I'm not sure why they got a PSA on you. That was unnecessary. You don't do a PSA in someone that clearly has prostatitis, and from your description here, you were having symptoms, including fever. So a PSA in that scenario just causes more anxiety. So. I'm not sure why why a blood test for PSA was taken on you. The other thing is that you should not be concerned, certainly not yet. I don't know if you have prostate cancer, not hard to tell, but your PSA being that high is just a result of the inflammation going on in your prostate. So I would suggest that you do not get a PSA anytime soon until the prostatitis is resolved. How do you resolve prostatitis? Well, I think they've given you antibiotics, of course. And if you have a situation where you are feverish and symptomatic, then it would make sense to take antibiotics. Be careful with fluoroquinolones like Cipro and Levaquin. Those tend to induce side effects in about 20% of the patients who take them that are pretty significant. Neuropathic problems, so nerve from the waist down, you get a lot of tingling or pain or a lot of discomfort, fatigue, all sorts of things from fluoroquinolone. So, but sometimes I've seen cases where, and again, that's 20%. If you're in the 80% camp and you could take a fluoroquinolone and not get affected negatively, then that's a good thing because it does help. It does get rid of the microorganism, which is likely E. coli. E. coli is the most common type of bacteria that affects prostatitis or induces prostatitis then they'll probably wean you off to something like doxycycline or something. And that's a little bit, again, all antibiotics have side effects, but if you are in an acute scenario, which that's about 5% of those that present with prostatitis, acute prostatitis, then you do need antibiotics. And so then you want to take some probiotics and eat a lot of Sauerkraut is has a lot of probiotics in it. You want to try to replenish some of those microbiome and healthy microorganisms that were wiped out from the antibiotics. Lastly, you probably will have some long-term chronic prostatitis without fever. So sometimes, oftentimes, once men have acute prostatitis, then they develop chronic prostatitis, no fever, just this constant discomfort in the pelvic area, pain, and you feel like you're sitting on a tennis ball kind of thing heat feels hot in there. Sometimes erectile dysfunction that comes from that, urinary frequency, things like that. So you can treat that. You don't want to stay on antibiotics for life, but I know that Flomax or one of those alpha receptor blockers are a form of treatment for it medically. I think that you can treat it very successfully with a formula out there. One of them is Mr. Happy Prostate Support. Again, I'm a formulator of that. I think the ingredients in that are, are. Unique in the sense that it contains curcumin, which is a very strong anti inflammatory. It contains ripe pollen extract, a lot of research on that as it relates to prostatitis, including quercetin. It also contains things like scutellaria, which is a botanical and medicinal herb that calms things down. It's like a nervine that calms down hyperactive nerves, which is important to treat, I think, chronic prostatitis and numerous other nutrients. Anyway, something similar to that can help to treat it effectively and keep you doing well. So that's the story. So no PSA. I don't think you should be concerned, Doug, but once you're done with the antibiotics, make sure to replenish with probiotics and sauerkraut. And that is it for today. So thank you so much for listening. Listen, today's the 10th episode, please, uh, as a gift, (laughs) as a gift to me. For this 10th episode, please give me a a rating, a good rating, if you think I deserve it, on any platform that you're listening to this podcast. I plan to have way more Q&As. So if you have a question, send it to podcast at drgeo.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at drgeo.com. I am Dr. Geo. I'll talk to you soon. See you next time. Signing off. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Dr. Geo podcast. You can watch all episodes of this podcast and much more by subscribing to my YouTube channel on youtube.com forward slash Geo Espinoza ND. If you love what you heard today, you can help by leaving a five star review of the podcast on Apple and Spotify, as each review helps us reach more men who are serious about improving their urological health and how to function better with age. And for the latest research and actionable takeaways in the world of men's health and integrative urology, sign up for my newsletter at drgeo.com. I'll see you next time. And now for a brief disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and we're not forming a doctor-patient relationship through this medium. The use of the information and all links associated with this podcast is at the listener's risk and is not to replace medical advice from a physician or a healthcare practitioner. Lastly, thoughts and opinions related to this podcast are my own and may not reflect the views of any institution or organization I'm associated with.